I get the feeling this is going to be a theme of the podcast, but can you say the name of that game again? Uh, which game, Zelda? The one you literally were just talking about. Uh, Ocarina of Time? Zelda Ocarina of Time? Well, Ocarina. Ocarina. Yeah, so... <laughs> Ocarina. <laughs> yeah. That, that's 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 literally the word. Game begin. I love the mystery gaming bros. The mystery gaming bros know how to party. Hey, Mystery Pony Fiction here, bringing you a new podcast called Mystery Gaming Bronies with my co-host Shakespeare Eccles, the world's strongest writer, and hopefully another co-host will join us next time. This is a gaming discussion podcast from a brony perspective. So, Shakes, what's been happening with you? Well, as the world's strongest writer, I've been writing, as per usual. What a shock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, also, when uh, my muse escapes me, I do game also. Uh, I recently just finished 100%ing uh, uh, Cult of the Lamb, so that's oh, well fresh done. on my mind. Yeah, I, I played a bit of that, but um, I kind of, like, uh, last time I played it, before the update... I kind of got bored at the point where um, there stopped being new stuff to unlock. Um, like I pretty much filled out the tree and I still had like two or three whole levels left. And that kind of turned me off a bit that there was no more progression. Once you reach well, a certain the, point. Well, the, the purpose of the progression is to help you be able to do the combat levels. So yeah. if you... so. Um, I'm not trying to be a dick about this, but if you literally unlock all the tech and you still can't beat the levels, then that's a skill issue. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I don't think it was and, that. And... I just, um, like, I, I beat most of the bosses the first time I fought them, you know, um, so I don't think it was that. It just seemed to unlock too fast. Um, and I did try to play the game a second time when the update came out, and I didn't get as far as the first time, so... That's kind now, of which update were you talking about? Because there's been a few. It's been a very active development team. Uh, well, it, it was um, uh, a, the the fairly recent one. Um, oh, the uh, old relics update. Y yeah. Let me okay. look at my Steam library. The, the old gods, because they did a Halloween update back in October, which was pretty substantial in terms of content. Um, the thing with the old relics update is that it's focuses largely on post game content because the vast majority of the people who are playing it uh, have beaten the main story game yeah. uh, so this adds basically a reason to go back and replay the whole game and it doesn't mean you have to start a new game it means you can take a game that you've completed uh, and you're in the post game part of it and this says hey go ahead and do all of this post game content without having to start a whole new run yeah. I started a whole new run, but I found that I largely did not need to and ended up uh, doing a lot of uh, work over again, really for no reason. But honestly, I enjoy that game so much where they could just say, oh, by the way, we fixed the spelling error in one of the dialogues, and that's a reason enough for me to start a whole new playthrough because I really enjoyed that game. Yeah. Um, one thing I did find, though, was that I got it on Switch, which was probably a mistake because, um, yeah, there were pretty bad like frame rate dips and... Like it would like full on stop at times, just stop yeah. to catch up. When you're, with the when you're playing, when you're playing an isometric uh, 
roguelite with uh, with combat with melee combat, you really cannot have frame dropping like that. Yeah. Uh, we're not talking about a turn-based game like Final Fantasy, where you can like be running at like 15 frames a second and still make a competent choice and have the game, you know, make it have the game result the way you want it to. Um, when yeah. you have real-time combat, it needs to be smooth. And I am very keen on, you know, to, you know, flying the PC master race flag, but this is one of those games that really just was not optimized for the Switch, and that I don't recommend it on yeah. that platform. I, I often get quite burned by the Switch. Like, you know, I keep thinking, um, oh, this will be a good game to play in bed and stuff, and... Um, but then I, but then I realized that it couldn't even handle those graphics. Like, even though they're fairly simplistic looking graphics, they're still a bit too much for the switch. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and in my experience, I find that the best game to play in bed is hide the sausage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have, I have a very good, uh, PC gaming rig and I realized that money is a big barrier for a lot of people. Um, and not everyone has like expendable income to buy a good, like $2,000 gaming PC, which, and I, and I feel like I'm actually kind of middling the range on that too, because it can go a lot higher from there. But if you go much lower than $2,000 on a gaming PC, and I'm, I, this is American currency. I know the exchange rate's pretty shit some places, uh, but for 2000 American dollars, that's the middle of the range. If you go much below that, you're going to end up being behind the curve. And when you're building or even buying a pre-built i don't know what the stigma is against buying a pre-built pc is i i don't understand it honestly this is coming from someone who built pcs for years uh if you're if you're if you're gonna spend a bunch of money on a gaming pc you really need that thing to be i don't want to say future proof but future resistant where it's going to be a competent competitive gaming pc for at least the next four years yeah yeah um I've rented this uh, PC. Um, it was like $140 a month, but I managed to get it discounted to $70 a month because it um, because it was pre-used, um, but probably for only three months or so it was pre-used, but that allowed the price of it to be down a lot more. So I pay $70 a month for this. And um, it wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. Like I thought I'd be able to, you know, load up, cyberpunk 2077 and play that at 60 frames but no i can only really get 30 frames at 1080p um uh but then even then um like i kept on uh playing around with the benchmark and what ended up happening is um the game crashed and then i couldn't open it anymore it just refused to open yeah um Renting a PC is just a really alien concept to me. I mean, I, I get that, like these these sort of rent-a-center places exist, and you can rent just about anything. But for me, a, a PC is an, an, an incredibly personal, intimate um, yeah. thing that I own. I certainly uh, hope I never have to return this PC. <laughs> like I'd obviously yeah, have uh, to wipe it first and all that sort it, of stuff. Well. Oh, you mean like digitally wipe it? Yeah, like factory restore. Like I, I actually yeah. did that with my last PC that I also rented for like $49 yeah. a month. And I actually wiped that and sent it to my mum after I finished with it. So. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I hope it's one of those rent-to-own situations, but that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, so I'll own this PC if I keep it for three years. Same with the last one I did. I'm sorry, keep for three years? Yeah. Like, if you rent it for three years, you'll own it? Yeah, that's right. Right, but how much you say you're saying you're renting it for a month? Uh, $70. 70 okay. So 7 times 12 is 70 plus another 14 so that's 84, $840 times three. That's more than $2,000, my friend. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's the only way I can really afford to keep up with a relatively decent PC. That is uh, not true. Um, honestly, you'd be better off taking out a small loan from a bank and paying much less on interest than you would be paying to rent a PC. You get the loan, you buy the PC, you pay the loan back. Not only do you own that PC now, but you also get to improve your credit mm. by paying back a loan to a bank institution rather than renting to a rent-a-center, which does not improve your credit. Mm. Yeah, I, I've, never, I've the, never considered my credit. Like, I've, you know, I've pretty much always been at like no debt so uh that's good like, i'm not sure how different that is in australia that's well it's uh, lending money is a is a universal capitalist thing um you can i mean even and i'm not trying to get political here but even like russia and china has banks where you get loans to build things that's just like they yeah. like they, they 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 pretend that they have a certain system, but honestly, that the 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 basic exchange of goods for services and currency is all rooted in a very fundamental system that you're just not going to get away from, no matter what political umbrella you roll under. Anyways, I'm just saying, there's smarter ways to have a nice PC. Yeah, I suppose. Um, so. But just look at one, one thing I've never wanted to do is to get into a habit of borrowing. You know. I prefer to, you know, keep that slate clean and not go there, especially since I can do really stupid things when I get my hands on a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, I just, uh, I've always, yeah, avoided that. And one time I did borrow money in an emergency and now I'm um, flooded constantly in text messages and emails from, from loan companies, you know, now that they have my information and they've shared it with each other. I'm now constantly advertised to, you know, from loan companies. Right. So, well, yeah. yeah, that's why that's why you don't go to a loan place like a payday loan place. You go to an actual bank and apply for a proper oh, bank yeah. loan rather than rather than a loan shark. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's better things I could be doing, but I'm just glad that I've rarely ever had to be in the position to borrow money. You know, just kept kept the slate clean and out of debt. Um, yeah. Other than a really bad course I took, um, like you, you know those uh, call centers, like there's uh, school call centers, um, and I had one of them call me and talk me into doing a management course, like a lot of years ago. So now I've got about yep. three thousand dollar debt um, to them. All right. Yeah. Sorry, you're getting a bit of background noise occasionally. That's Not right. when you're talking, uh, though, which is... Oh, well, I have my ice machine running behind me. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I can turn that off for, for when we record these in the future. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually... The background noise is coming in sometimes when you're not speaking. 
like when I'm speaking yeah. and you're quiet, it's coming through, which right. is weird. That is weird. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I know you've been playing Peglin as well on your Steam profile. Okay, wow. okay, that was the last time I played that was back in March, but yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah, I've I've been playing it quite a lot. It's it's pretty addictive. Like, um, I thought, oh yeah, I'll give this a little try, and then I ended up playing it for like an hour every day before work, just about. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's up to update eight now, so I think it's nearly at its finished version. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being able to play more than just the three areas that they started out with. Oh, yeah. It's still three areas. Um, didn't right. know if they were planning to do more. They better. Like, I'm really hoping for, like, an endless mode, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, uh, like, it, it seems to, um, like, you seem to either not get very far and get your ass kicked, or you um, just like pile on the amount of power to the point that you're just about invincible. Yeah, that I found. It's, it's one of those uh, rogue roguelikes where it's not a rogue light. I mean, I guess I suppose it is. There are some progressive elements to it, but it really is a, a roguelike where you start out with. It really depends on those early moments with what upgrades you get, what's going to determine your. Um, your strategy going forward because like based on what what my first like two or three upgrades are i'm going to say like okay i'm going to lean toward bombs or i'm going to go toward the ball multipliers or whatever and then you kind of focus on that particular um avenue um, and if you just get a bunch of upgrades that just don't synergize together then yeah then you're going to have a, you get a couple of bad uh bounces and you end up going down the wrong path and you get stopped and that's just how it goes that's the nature of randomness um I I ended up getting it uh, based on a strange recommendation, and it was on a deep sale. Because um, I remember playing like Peggle way back in the day, um, and found that it was like it, it like they kept making a lot of emphasis on skill, but really it was just about on chance. Because unless you have a degree from Smart Attitude, then you're not going to be able to predict where the ball's going to go to the first two ricochets and just largely yeah. comes down to chance. Yeah, Which they, I think suits, it suits a roguelike like this, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about this is that your choices do matter quite a lot. You know, it's not quite so random and you do have certain, like, you know, you want to try to aim to get, to hit the uh, money pegs and, you know, uh, like strategically try to get more money so that you can upgrade things. Yeah, and, and uh, I think the only really the only frustrating part is when you go to select your path, and if it's not if it's not an obvious straight shot to go left or right, then you can run into some trouble where you end up going in the wrong direction. And I find that that more than any other aspect of the game is what will end up screwing me over. But yeah. that's just it's part of the design. And I accept that. Yeah, I had to put the uh, hold to aim mode on because um, sometimes when I'd select an enemy, try to select an enemy, it would shoot the ball. And I found that it was pretty much essential to have the hold to aim. Because, yeah, otherwise when you try to select enemies, it would shoot. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, no, no I understand. I think, I think it's meant more for like people who are like using a tablet or a touchscreen, but definitely that too. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, 
Like one thing that does sort of turn me off a bit about it is that there's a lack of that sort of um, incremental growth and like things that you unlock. Like I haven't even unlocked a class. Well, sorry, I've unlocked one class um, and it's, it's showing me how to unlock a second class. Um, but other than those classes, there doesn't seem to be much that actually unlocked progressively as you go, um, except for maybe being able to use it in custom runs. Right. Um, like I've unlocked a few of the like progressive difficulty runs, which I suppose oh, is yeah. their idea. Of, yeah, the crucible. Of, of, yeah, the endless mode there, where you, you it gets progressively more difficult to get to a point where you can't go any further, which in a way is the same as creating more levels, but in like a really kind of lazy sort of way, where it's just like, hey, it's progressive difficulty. It's a, it's a ladder, you know. Yeah. But. That that's not really creating more content. That's just fiddling with a few numbers in the background, which I feel like is the lazy way to go out. And you know, you, you said they're on update uh, 0.8, which you know, on the way to 1.0, since it is an early access, I would hope that 1.0 would come with more actual content. Yeah. I mean, I'm ha I'm happy with the game as it is, and I don't mind it for the price that I paid because I did get it on sale, so I'm not going to complain about that. But uh, for the price that they're asking, I would hope that when 1.0 comes out that it does come with more content yeah um like uh it, like compared to something like uh binding of isaac or uh what i just played recently brutato um like after every run just about you're like unlocking new stuff to play with and it like doesn't have the whole um library of weapons and stuff available to you at first you like unlock new stuff um like, I don't know if you've played Binding of Isaac or one of those other sort of uh, roguelikes. I've played Hades. Oh, yeah, Hades. Yeah, that that's another good one. Um, and the thing, the thing with that, the thing with that mechanic is that, again, you still start out each run with essentially nothing. Whatever you started out the first time you play it, you're going to start out with the next time you play it. And yeah. when you're unlocking, when you're unlocking progressive elements, oops, excuse me. You're unlocking the ability to find them in the in the run of the game. Yeah, yeah. So like you get to a certain point, you unlock a new two-handed sword. And so now at some point in, in those intervening levels, you could then find that two-handed sword, which will do more damage or gives you a bigger reach, and then it lets you get a little bit further, which unlocks this other thing. But you still need to get there in order to to get those things you don't just start out with this automatic buff to your health or your damage i mean some games do function like that um and like noita uh, comes to mind where you can find you can discover spells and uh artifacts that you can then find on subsequent subsequent runs more readily uh, uh, with the uh, C generation based on what you've unlocked. Uh, but again, you still start out with essentially just your basics, your, your basic wand, your basic potion, and you have to still find those things in the map. Yeah. Like, I think one of my favorite ones that I've seen is dead cells, um, with how you, you know, unlock new weapons that you can find in the run and stuff. Yeah. Um, I got, I uh, got Dead Cells. I tried it back in March. Um, I forgot what compelled me to get it. I think I saw someone else's review about it, and I tried it out. And I 
I got a decent ways through it. I, I don't really, I can't really quantify my progress through it because I don't well, know. I've like got how... one boss cell, um, <laughs> but yeah. I haven't gotten any further okay. than that. But apparently some people have got like 10. Yeah, so I've gotten to like the third area. Oh, okay, just so, the area. Yeah, so well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've faced off with any bosses necessarily, but I mean, I, I found the moment-to-moment uh, -moment gameplay to be rather underwhelming. Okay. Which, yeah, and and I when mean, it comes down to it, when when you're playing it, when you're playing a roguelike, you have to take those, take the actual moment-to-moment -moment combat and be like, am I enjoying this? Because if I'm going to be grinding for hours, if it, I don't want it to necessarily feel like grind. I need to enjoy the grind. And if you're not enjoying the grind, then don't play it. You know, like Cult of the Lamb, like you're going from room to room, you're fighting a handful of enemies. They need to be varied enough. The combat needs to be varied enough. The weapons and your abilities need to be varied enough where it always feels a little, at least a little bit fresh. So that way, when you're going through and playing it for the twelfth playthrough, you know, is you can still enjoy the grind, even yeah. if it is a grind. I, I think that's one thing that Dead Cells um, does do. Like, if you've only like gotten to the third area, um, but basically you're constantly unlocking weapons that you can that you know get randomized in your next run. And um, like what 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 happens when I get one boss cell is that I start only getting um, my health regenerated every second stage, and apparently it gets harder and harder as you reach more boss cells. And what that is is where you basically finish the game, and then you can choose to play your next game with that one boss cell, and it makes everything harder, makes all the enemies harder, makes you get um, healed less, and um, yeah, for a while now, I've just been playing on one boss cell, but I haven't been able to beat the game again to get two boss cells. And uh, apparently when you get, yeah, two boss cells, it makes everything harder again. But See, so far, can... I've, like, um, unlocked nearly every weapon, um, but they have added more weapons since they've been bringing updates out often. But, like, uh, I'm starting to get to the point where I actually... Um, start having to spend my points on things other than new weapons and armor. See, um, the, the Cult of the Lamb has a similar uh, mechanic like that uh, called a difficulty setting. And so you can turn up the difficulty and the playthrough gets harder. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I I just know that I I have played um, Dead Cells for probably like two hundred hours, and yeah, have gotten really into it, and yeah, it's taken like that long to start, you know, having everything unlocked. Like, yeah, there's so, there's some weapons that you just find along the way, but there's some that are more challenging where you have to actually capture enemies in order to unlock the skill that they have and add it to the uh, pool of randomized stuff that you can get. Um. So I don't know. I think you should probably, um, yeah, play more Dead Cells and see see what it, what its real potential is. Because I I personally have found it more fun than Cult of the Lamb. But well, I could go back and give it another give it another look. Um, it also depends just... on whether you like the side scrolling or the top shooting, you know, sort of thing, as well. Well, there was oh gosh, there was another um, there was another uh, game I was looking at where you are going through the hull of a dead uh, ghost ship and it's it's zero gravity so you're floating around in the room but you're also fighting these other creatures and ships that are inside this large wreck 
and it, it seems like a 2D side scroller where there's no gravity, so you're just hovering in midair, but really it's more like uh, Hotline Miami where it's a top-down uh, Grand Theft Auto 2 view and you're just staying in the middle of the room because functionally it's the same. Um, and so, like, it's it, it's funny because I want to I want to remark uh, when you said that you'd put over two hundred hours into Dead Cells. Like, I'm glad that you enjoy the game that much. Um, I could not see myself putting that much time into a game like that, a single player game like that. Uh, I mean, like, the the closest I could compare to would be like Skyrim, but I I can't imagine any other any other game like yeah. being like that for me anymore. Not to say that. Any no game now could be like Skyrim. I'm sure it could be, like the new uh, Jedi Survivor game could yeah, be that Zelda. for me. I'm sure. I'm sure you've been hearing a lot about Zelda as well. Yeah, same with that. Now that's on the Switch, which um, I suppose I could uh, look up my gaming metrics on there. It's just not uh, it's available right now. Um, I have not played the new Zelda game. I don't have a problem with spoilers if you want to talk about it. Um, what was I, what was I about to say? Oh, uh, so the, the games that I do have the most hours on is actually uh, the Left 4 Dead games, Left 4 Dead 1 and 2. Yeah. Not, ne not necessarily because they were such great games. I mean, they are, and they were at the time, certainly. Because of the multiplayer. Uh, but because of the way that it is a multiplayer game, and everybody, when those games came out, each time those games came out, everybody was playing those games because those were just such great co-op games. And even when the gameplay, even when the gameplay would have become stale for me, I, I was still enjoying it because I was playing it with friends and it more or less became an interactive chat room, which is a big reason why World of Warcraft has gone for as long as it has, because there have been other games that have you know been touted as WoW killers, like Knights of the Old Republic, uh, or no, no, what was it called? No, the Old Republic, which was the Star Wars MMO, which was by every uh, objective measure better than World yeah. of Warcraft in terms of its mechanics and whatnot. Yeah, I'll, and I'll tell you now, I've got about two thousand hours in Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, yeah, that's gobbled up quite a lot of my life. And here's the thing, but like, none of them are going to be WoW killers because WoW is an interactive chat room. And so if you want to get, if you want to have everyone from World of Warcraft come over to your game, you got to get this one player to come over. Well, he's got to bring all of their friends because that's how he interacts with his friends. He's got to bring all of his friends and they have to bring all of their friends and they got to bring all of their friends, etc., etc. And that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I suppose. So um, I mean, 14 is getting pretty popular, but I probably also put about 3,000 hours into wow back in the uh wrath of the lich king cataclysm days like i used to be really into it back then and man that that seems like such a long time ago now when cataclysm was the latest wow expansion that was like yeah. a tw 2011 <laughs> yeah and I, and I remember that and they had the whole like hey play for free up to level 20 you know just to try it out and uh, my girlfriend at the time she invited me to play that with her and i did and so she took me along on raids where she was essentially carrying me where she's just like hang back don't deal with any of the combat you're gonna get a shitload of xp and you'll power level quickly yeah which i did and it was so weird being the person on the outside because they were all 
rating and talking in a language that I didn't understand at the time. I mean, I understand it now, like, you know, all the, all the DPS and dots and crap like that language now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that wealth. definitely took, took a lot to learn and, and yeah, like the damage on card. Yeah, all, <laughs> all, all that stuff. And so, yeah, it and kind, so, it kind like, of feels it, like you've, um, you know, learned a new language, you know, that yeah, ordinary like, people can't understand. I was just, I had showed up to a party with all these strangers and I was just kind of holding onto this person's sleeve as they, you know, were kind of dragging me around to do all this stuff that I didn't understand. And, but like, it, it, it's, it seemed just so natural the way that they communicated with each other. And, you know, partially it was, there was a social aspect too, like, oh, blah, 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 hey, so and so, how you doing? How's the kids? Oh, blah, 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 blah. how's the wife? Oh, you have another baby, you know? And, yeah. it, and it was like, a chat room while they were doing all this really spectacular flashy stuff on screen and then you know of course then there was the loot drops and everyone gets whatever like oh no no rares oh, gotta do it again and i'm like what do you mean you gotta do it again oh yeah you gotta run this you gotta run this dungeon so many times it's a it's a one in two thousand drop so you know you gotta do it again and like yeah, i, I certainly remember the times that i've uh you know uh run through dungeons like hundreds of times yeah um, and that's and that's just it. And like, and that's why I was talking about. Like, yeah, you just oh, you just, you just run the same dungeon hundreds of times. Like, yeah, but like we, you know, chat while we do it. We all know what we're doing. It's just because we've done it so many times. So you just hang out and you're chatting. Like, so it's an interactive chat room. Yeah. And Another one that I spend a lot of time in is uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I like how that has more of the single player classic Elder Scrolls gameplay. Um, and also, I like how uh, you can play any part of the game. Like, you can play, yeah, it, you can play any part of the game at level one. Like, you can get the latest expansion and play that content with a new, fresh character. And, um, like, I, I don't know. I haven't done very much uh, sort of multiplayer gaming. Like, I'm trying to get more into it, but uh, I haven't really had the friend circle to, you know, that's like on at the same time as me. And like, I, I see you um, a lot of the time playing uh, like Terraria and stuff with people in Valheim. And um, the, the problem is that is it's hard to like, you know, dedicate myself to like a particular time that other people are playing in a persistent world that's going to keep going, you know, when they've all left or when I have to leave. That's why I tend to prefer, you know, the Jackbox, you know, quick 30-minute game sort of things. Yeah, and, like, I I get that. Like, I I, I know with, uh, with Scarlet running um, a persistent server, you can go on and play Terraria, but usually you're playing all by yourself while the rest of, um, while the rest of Up Over is sleeping. Yeah, and, like, when I go in there, it's like everything's already been done. There's already, like you know, every kind of item in the chest that I can just take and use. And it doesn't really feel like there's a, there's any progression happening that, you know, I, I can really feel like I'm responsible for. But, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. And, and, I just don't really get stuff. the appeal yet. Of, uh, yeah, and, like, I, that's, that's why whenever, I know, like, Valheim just had the big Mistlands update a little while ago, and I, we were talking about, like, hey, let's get that server going again. And, and go see the new content. But if you, you run into the same problem with people who are now newly interested in the game, 
they want to start playing. And it's like, okay, well, what should we do? Should we bring them into this persistent world where they can just grab all this stuff that's like, you know, like five levels above where they would be starting? Uh, because as as a returning player, the early game is frustrating, but as a new player, the early game is very important because it has a lot of tutorial aspects to it, and you don't want to take that away from them. Now, I was very fortunate the very first time I played Dalheim, I had uh, a player who was experienced, but they started a new game with me, and they kind of like walked me through, like, "Hey, here's how you build it." Because like the problem is like if you take a, if you take a new player, you just hand them all this stuff. When they go to play a new game on their own, they're like, "Hey, how do I build a house?" They don't know because they never had to do it. So yeah. like the first time I played it, they were like, "Hey, here's how you build a house. Open up this menu." And it's like, well, what are you playing on? Are you playing PC? Okay, so it should probably be F, you know? So you, they kind of walk you through, like, how to do it, and you 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 go through the paces yourself. And that's a good teacher is someone who shows you how to do something rather than doing it for yourself. It's, they, they're, they're teaching you how to fish rather than just giving you one. Yeah, it can feel pretty satisfying to be able to, like, be the expert and show someone through a game. Um, yeah, I, I really... Um, I would like to kind of experience that more, but for me, it's just, you know, like 30 minute games, like, um, you know, town of Salem or something where, you know, the whole game is done in 30 minutes. And, um, I also find that I'm preferring, you know, those shorter games more, um, probably because I'm, you know, working now, um, because yeah, uh, like, you know, something like Brotato or, you know, those roguelike shooters, um, where you like level through the whole course of a game in 30 minutes or like vampire survivors as opposed to something like um, Diablo or uh, what was it called last epoch where you know it takes you like 50 hours of game time to get a you know a character from level one to the max level yeah. you know I, th I think I find oh. it more satisfying that faster pace of you know power creep yeah, well, I did this, there, there's this whole stigma about, like, casual gaming, and unfortunately, that's kind of where we as working adults kind of get pigeonholed, is that we kind of have to do casual gaming, because we don't have time, we don't have the, the blocks of time to dedicate to these these uh, larger games. Like, I went back to Valheim, I went back to a particular save file that I had when the big Mistlands update came out. And I hadn't played the game in months. Okay. It can be really hard to like go back to an old save that's like two years old and try to remember what you were doing or what your goals were. I, and, and worse than that, it's when like you have to relearn the control scheme because I because you could oh, yeah. play you could play two different isometric uh, roguelites where it's a, a, a melee based game like um, Cult of the Lamb versus uh, Hades, for example, and the light attack versus heavy attack buttons could be opposite. Oh, and yeah, yeah. You're, try you're trying to dodge roll, and then instead you're doing your special attack instead. And it's like, wait, no, that's... And the uh, fact especially, that they don't have... Especially with, like, the Switch compared to the Xbox. Like, the all the buttons are literally switched around to the opposite. And so sometimes they actually change the game to to make it the same, but other times the the buttons literally are switched. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that the uh, Microsoft Xbox controller 
has a USB connection, which integrates seamlessly with a Microsoft uh, Windows PC. Uh, because the Xbox is my preferred controller because I have human hands and I'm not a robot, which is obviously what the Switch controller was designed for. <laughs> um, I don't understand why Nintendo just does not know how to make a controller for humans. Uh, um, well, I, I the, like the, the Switch the, controller. The, the it's just that, that I think the reason why the buttons are switched around is like a copyright issue. Like, you know, literally Nintendo can't have their buttons in the same places and named the same thing as the Xbox That's one. Thing. Hey, here's the thing. I think, well, you might be right, but it's backwards. Um, you have to understand, like, in the console war game between Nintendo, Sony, and Xbox, Nintendo doesn't even see Sony and Xbox as competition. It's, it's so far above and beyond. And I'm not saying that Nintendo is so great. I'm not trying to like metaphorically oh, they, play Nintendo here. Otherwise. But yeah, the, but like they don't have competition. They 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 can just make whatever they want and people will buy it. That's just it's the it's the video game equivalent of Apple products. You know, that they have a fan base that they could just literally they could make Breath of the Wild 2 and literally just be have it be Breath of the Wild with like a new coat of paint. And people will spend sixty dollars a copy on that game yeah, because it, it, it kind of actually, it kind of is like that. Like they've just, uh, yeah, they they've taken the same world and they've just added a sky dimension and and depth dimension. Um, but yeah, they have changed a lot about the world. But yeah, one of the big criticisms is that it could could have just been a DLC, but yeah. you know, it's and, a really big DLC. And here's the thing, like. Breath of the Wild was the game that compelled me to buy the Switch because um, I, I I played it for oh God, less than an hour. Definitely not more than an hour. I, I went over to my girlfriend's house. She had it. And she's like, here, start a new game. So I, I, cause I had, I created my own profile on her Switch and I started my own game of Breath of the Wild. And I... I, in, in that first hour, and it's laughable now because I, I'm like practically a speedrunner when it comes to the beginning plateau there, but I never made it off the beginning plateau area. I thought that plateau was literally the whole game. And oh. I was so, no, no, for real. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, was so in, I was so in love with that game. I was like, oh, dude, I have to get this. And she's like, you had, you didn't even get out of the tutorial area. I'm like, I don't care. This is this is the best. I, I had and... the same experience with um with uh, a coroner of time. Like, I literally thought that the Deku tree and the boss at the end of the Deku tree was the end of the game. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I was pretty surprised to find out. Oh, there's these you know two other dungeons to go to. And then I was even more All surprised right. when there was like, oh, another seven dungeons to go to. Yeah, now, and I get that feeling. I get the feeling this is going to be a theme of the podcast, but can you say the name of that game again? Uh, which game? Zelda? The one you literally were just talking about. Uh, a of it. Time? Zelda A Corona of Time? Well, Ocarina. Ocarina. Yeah, so... <laughs> Ocarina. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's 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 literally the word. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess we just say some things differently in Australia. Australia. Mm -hmm. Compared to you. Well, that, that's the... Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. But it, 
Bloody <laughs> Yanks. Well, you, you, you know how it is here. We we all grew up from convicts, so we, we speak like convicts. Uh, like we're, you know, can barely, barely know English. <laughs> so, all right. Um, where, is that, where are they going with that? Oh, but yeah, but that, that was the game that compelled me to, to buy the Switch. And, you know, after that, I ended up getting a lot of things that, uh, uh, what, what, was, what was the next game I got on the Switch after that? was, uh, oh, um, it was actually uh, Let's Go Eevee. Which... Oh yeah, I, I never played those. Uh, that I, I'm I'm bored of like the first generation of Pokemon at this point. I played the uh, remakes, and now there's another remake with yeah different catching mechanics. Uh, I wasn't yeah. really interested in that one. And essentially, that's what it is. And but the thing with it too was that like I I, I don't I'm not going to presume how old you are, but I I was old enough for when when uh red and blue first came out and subsequently yellow and i just i remember and i did a whole blog post about this that i'm sure you've probably read but i remember like what a pain in the butt it was to try to grind to level up your individual pokemon to get your team ready for the next uh gym and oh, all that yeah. stuff because I, I remember being in that you know the the tunnel the victory road tunnels you know often having to spend yeah. days in there getting getting high enough level to be able to beat the elite four yeah and the whole thing with that was the the idea that obviously was to pad the gameplay because like mm. you know you spent all this money on this game which honestly there wasn't a whole lot to the game like honestly there really is not a whole lot to the old uh pokemon games because it's just you're you're going on in these rooms on these and you're going to these two-dimensional maps areas where you walk through this grass and in the background a bunch of hold, a bunch of dice are being rolled and whether or not you're going to encounter a pokemon and then what pokemon you're going to encounter based on what area you're in and then those stats and it's just a, it's just a bunch of rng it's 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 a um an rpg in the most in the most purest sense i would say yeah plus and, back in those days you didn't have like guides and stuff like or at least it wasn't as easy to just well, look things up online that's that's the other thing too. Like, if you wanted to know what the heck you were doing, you had to subscribe to Nintendo Power Magazine, yeah. which you had to pay for because this was all before the internet. It, it um, also now, reminds me of um of Final Fantasy VII. Like a lot of uh like rumors that were completely untrue for for Ocarina of Time as well. Like all all these uh, rumors you'd hear that were completely untrue. Yeah, and you you try to do ridiculous things in game like um oh like little like joke like joke advice like hey jump off this cliff yeah or, a secret or, item or there's like a uh a vehicle in in um in pokemon like there's a truck that you're apparently supposed to be able to push and make some secret pokemon appear but yeah people tried it and it never worked for anyone and yeah it turned out to be false but people had to spend ages trying to do it Anyways, the point I was trying to make was that I just I remember sinking literally hundreds of hours into that game because that was the only game I could have afforded that summer with the uh, allowance money that I had, which oh, was yeah. great because like that was that was the only game I was going to have. I was going to play the ever loving crap out of it. But now I'm a grown ass adult and I've got plenty of money, but what I don't have is time. Oh yeah. And the thing that I like the thing that I like about a game like Let's Go 
Eevee or Let's Go Pikachu is that it is a remake of Pokemon Yellow. It is the same original 151 Pokemon, and it's the it's literally the exact same story. You've got Team Rocket, you've got the 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 original region, and you've got all these same Pokemon in the same areas, and all it is just a graphical upgrade. However, the catching mechanic is different. The fact that you can see the Pokemon in the overworld is different, so you don't have to go wondering what you're going to catch. You can see the Pokemon you want to catch, walk over to it, and then catch it. Yeah, and that's you know become a bit of a you're... mainstay of the series now. Yeah, and, and that's it. And that's the thing, too. The whole Let's Go uh, Pokemon, uh, let, Let's Go Eevee, Let's Go Pikachu, that kind of kicked all this off because people were like, look, we're tired of it being random because we're all freaking busy. You know, especially, I mean, all right, so you've got Gen X, I'm Gen X, we're all, you know, working adults. We don't have time to spend 300 hours grinding to find a particular rare Pokemon. We've got jobs to do, and we're not going to buy this game if we're going to have to waste a bunch of time doing it. We're just going to, we're going to, we're just not going to buy it because we can read the reviews online. We're savvy, we're savvy customers now. And so, I liked I liked it because I could pick it up, play it, and I got through the main story fairly quickly. And the same thing with like Let's Go Arceus, where you got through the main. I don't want to say you get through the main story fairly quickly. You didn't. The main story yeah. for that game. Yeah, was, I, I uh, didn't. Was, uh, I didn't play it, but um, yeah, I, I saw a lot of stuff online about how bad it looked. Like it was, yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, I could. I mean, I could just read you my review. But like, um, but uh, I don't really want to do that right now. Um, the the point is like I could I understand the reason why it had poor graphics, but I also don't forgive it uh, because it is Nintendo, and Nintendo essentially has an infinite budget. They, they've done Breath uh, of the Wild before, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not an excuse. Uh, and my point is is like the fact that you've got you can catch Pokemon that you want to catch more easily. The fact that they have the Automatic experience sharing means you can level up your whole team at the same time much faster. It's just more streamlined. It's easier. It's and it's on and look at I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, it's watered down. It is simpler in every regard. And yeah, it is easier. And because it's it's made for a different audience, because it's made for Gen Xers who have less time, and it's made for Gen Z which has less attention span where they're just, they want to play through the whole game, you know, as quickly as possible and move on to the next hot thing. And that's really, if my, my advice to any video game maker now is that you have to understand your audience right now, your, your audience has an attention span of about seven seconds that you have to have seven seconds to get their attention yeah. or else they're going to move on to the next thing. L- largely so thanks to TikTok. <laughs> well, or, I wouldn't say it's thanks to TikTok. Uh, first of all, TikTok is just a straight up ripoff of Vine. Yeah, you remember Vine, okay? And the uh, whole it, idea it was, was Vine. Brief, it, it, yeah, Vine was a brief little uh, experiment. Brief? No, Vine lasted well over a year. Um, and the, but the, but the idea of Vine was that it specifically restricted your videos to be only seven seconds long because of the whole uh, psychological uh, premise that like. How the current generation's attention span is only seven seconds long. And Vine's like, all right, fine. Your video can only be seven seconds long. And TikTok said, okay, great. Hey, here's our platform. It's the same thing, but you can make your video longer. 
Yeah, three minutes, and, and and now now they're now they're up to ten minutes, and now thirty oh, minutes. They've they've gone up to thirty minutes recently. So they they're literally trying to replace YouTube, and YouTube really needs to stop doing its whole censorship crap, or or TikTok is going to overtake it. But you know, here's well, YouTube YouTube needs competition for exactly that reason. But you're never gonna you're never gonna stop the power cycle where. A particular platform comes into power and then abuses that power to its own ends. Like, look at look at uh, uh, cable TV uh, and uh, Skype cable... too. Skype, like you know, went way off the deep end when it started monetizing and having ads. Ads that yeah, would literally I'm... cause oh, yeah. you're, the program. You're, to you're, you're, all right, listen, you're, I, I realize I'm talking to somebody a lot younger than me, but. When, when cable TV came to power, like it was trying to overtake network TV because network TV, it broadcasted from towers. Anyone who had a box, you know, a television box with antennas could pick up the signal for free. And all they needed to do is pay for the electricity to turn on the TV. And they got the signal for free. And the only way you could pay for that signal was with uh, commercials. And the commercials funded the broadcast of this free signal that every home could receive with their antenna television. And cable comes along and says, hey, here is a direct connection, so you don't have to worry about the signal, okay? Here's a direct connection to your TV, and you can watch all the TV you want if you pay for our service commercial-free. And everyone's like, yeah, I hate commercials. I will pay money for the service to have commercial-free television, and that's how cable television started out. And then cable's like, hey, all of this income from all these people paying for the service is great, but hey, we could also have commercials and make more money. And of course, every company's like, we want to make more money. So then cable television had commercials any fucking way because yeah. that's, and that's just what happened. And then cable television's like, well, what else are you going to do? Go back to network te television? They look at like seven channels now, and three of them are in Spanish. So people are like, well, I guess, you know, it's the, it's a crooked game, but it's the only one in town. Well, along comes Netflix, and they're like, hey, you know, if you're if you want to watch whatever show you want to watch, and this, this is a big fucking leap, because, like, you have to understand, cable television was around for a long damn time, at least in, in terms of my lifetime. They, they Netflix comes along, and originally they were just like mailing you DVDs to watch at home just for movies. But then they started saying like, hey, what if we had the streaming service where since everyone's pretty much got streaming internet now because cable internet was the thing at the time, they said, hey, you want to watch like these shows? We can just have these old episodes of these shows all here where you can watch commercial free. All you got to do is just not only pay for your cable connection for your internet, which everyone was already doing, but if you pay for the service, you can watch these shows commercial free. And everyone's like, yeah, hell yeah, I love that. So they started doing that. And then you and as soon as you have success, you emulate that with with competitors. Then you have Hulu, you've got Disney Plus, you've got Amazon TV and all these other streaming services where they're like, we want a piece of that pie. Yeah. And so have you watched Hulu's the uh, like, streaming wars on the streaming wars episodes of South Park? No, I, I haven't. I have not seen South Park in a, in a long time, but oh, really? I I do like the show. In, uh, well, yeah, this, the, the, the streaming show. wars goes yeah over all that. A lot of that commentary about a lot of that stuff. 
Yeah. So not only so then you got like the situation with like Hulu, for example, where not only you're paying for the internet connection with your cable, and you're paying for the streaming service on top of that to watch Hulu, but you're still getting commercials because they will always take more money when they can from wherever. And and yeah, that like and then the same thing applies to yeah, and the same thing comes back to to and it, but here's the thing with with the cycle of power, there's always going to be the next person that comes along and says, "Hey, are you tired of watching commercials on that platform? Come do this platform where there's no commercials or whatever." And yeah. and then, so, then if like, they with, manage to get the audience, they'll end up um, doing commercials themselves anyway. Exactly, and so <laughs> as the audience moves along, they do commercials, and then someone that this this is why piracy. While illegal, it is it's still popular. considered. It's it. Well, no, piracy is yeah, just you would in totally general. Down, download a car. <laughs> I look. At, I'm talking about in the historical, like just the 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 idea, the concept of piracy. Piracy is an important economic force because, like, when you look at like what happened with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones became as popular as it did because of piracy, because not very many people had HBO. And so the show got pirated a lot, but the pirated versions of that show were not very good. But the show was so good that the piracy basically acted like free advertising. And it got a lot of people to subscribe to HBO Max. Mm -hmm. And so now everybody's watching HBO Max for Game of Thrones as a result of piracy, which kind of, it, it, that that's the exception to the rule. But the point is, is if you have a monopoly on a particular uh, commodity, whether it's a show or diamonds or whatever commodity you have, you are, and if you, if you start charging more money than people are willing to spend on it, but it's something that people still want, then you are going to end up having to deal with piracy. You're going to have people who are going to acquire it through illegal means, and it could be anything, and then they're going to sell it cheaper, you know, to 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 meet that demand and that's that's something that has been happening for as long as capitalism has existed you know all the way back to trading berries for cows you know in stone in stone age days hmm. um and and that's the reason why you know you've got things like you've got steam for a gaming platform and you have other platforms like you've got um uh, Epic Games, for example, as a, as a different platform, and there's a few others. But right now, Steam is the big one. But like, it needs to have those competitors. It's the reason why you see so many like free games being offered up on Epic Games, because yeah. like that's that's all they can do to try to entice people to come over from Steam. Yeah, and, I don't see how that's going to be sustainable. Like how how they're actually going to come out ahead at the end of that. It's sort of like what Uber does with how it. It like operates at a loss, but has um, like integrated itself into society on such a fundamental level that like now they're too big to fail. Um, Uber. Yeah, you know Uber, Uber Eats. Um, you know, started the whole gig economy. Right, I'm not, but like I, for them to be operating at a loss is not is some is news to me. Oh, well, that that's what they claim, but I'm sure they probably could be paying their workers a minimum wage, but uh, Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, just, just like how uh, restaurants can pay their waitresses minimum wage. Yeah, they totally could, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they do here in Australia. Um, but yeah. Like, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I forget that's a, 
Yeah, I, I, I've always found it odd how, you know, um, service workers don't get paid, you know, there that they have to rely on tips to survive. That, that, that's a foreign concept here in Australia. And uh, one, it, one it really, time I it really should video. be because yeah, one, one that, time that I, a... yeah, but one time I put up like a parody video where we like you know played a prank on a pizza delivery guy, and the biggest comment that people had was like, "Oh my god, you didn't tip him! How how weird is that?" And um, you know, it's because tipping isn't a norm in Australia. It's like people get paid enough, so you know we don't have to tip. And another thing that happened is that um, uh, we had a police strike because uh, pizza delivery drivers were getting paid more than police. So <laughs> we actually had a police strike because they were angry that, you know, these lowly uh, pizza delivery drivers were getting paid more than them and, the you know, much more essential service that they provide. Yeah, well, there's a uh, there's a precedent for that here as well because there was a, a story about how someone was trying to call the police in Florida uh, because there was a hurricane that was happening and they were trying to get in touch with their grandmother who had lost power and their phone wasn't working and they were like the the, the um, emergency services were like yo dude we got our hands full. So what he did was he went online and he went to Domino's and ordered a pizza for his grandmother at her address with the instructions that they give her this particular phone number to call. And the the delivery driver had his cell phone. The delivery driver gets there, gives her her pizza, and then let, uses his cell phone. And she, she's just like, here, call this phone number. And she calls his grandson or her grandson and he was able to find out that his grandmother was okay in 30 minutes or less <laughs> yeah. because, and that's just, that's just the example of that works back. Well, one of the things I like about the way the current economy is happening, um, at least in the United States, is there's this uh, really big uh, labor capitulation where people have realized that for like the last 40 years, they've, they've just been, been grossly under, yeah, yeah. for like, been they've just been grossly underpaid. This isn't. This is not an anti-capitalism thing because I don't think that capitalism versus communism is any better than the other way around. Because any economic system you're going to have that's being that's made or run by humans is gonna you're gonna have people who are gonna find a way to exploit it. It's like any system. So that's that's don't, don't get that vibe right now. Yeah. But the the point is that. The, 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 bottom, the bottom line is I think that everybody should get a living wage oh, and yeah, that's definitely. different. And that is, that is a different number based on where you live. And that is, that's just a fact. So like when you had people in like New York who were saying like, Hey, we, we work at McDonald's and we flip burgers, but we need $15 an hour. Like I immediately bristled because I remember starting my first job making $6 and a quarter working at a convenience store. I'm like, oh, like you're demanding $15 an hour. Like, God damn. Like, but, well, I mean, you know, inflation realize... has gone up that much. I reckon it'd be the, yes. about the same amount as what you were getting it's, back it, then. Well, it's not even, it's not even just that. It's the fact that like, I grew up in the suburbs and they're like talking about like McDonald's in downtown Manhattan, where the cost of living is much higher. And so like having that as a minimum wage is a, is a big difference because that money does not nearly go as far as terms of paying for rent, paying for uh, 
necessities like groceries or their utilities and whatnot. Um, the, the 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 point is is that this 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 labor capitulation that's happening now is that all these people are kind of realizing like, hey, if you don't want to pay us a fair wage, we're not going to do the job. And you know, this whole thing was quiet quitting. People like literally only doing the bare minimum of what their job requires is a reflection of what they were being paid. And honestly, this really all should have happened back in like the early '90s, late '80s. Yeah, people where... should have a stake in the company that they work for. Um... Not not necessarily that, but like people people should like have a need. People need a reason to to do what they're doing. So they don't get burned out because the problem was before it's like oh you have to have a job because if you don't have a job you're going to go broke and then you're going to be homeless living on a box on the street and and, and health, in america as far as i know healthcare is very much connected to your um employment yes so that, that's the other half of it too and i've seen a lot of stories where like uh you know like an employer will say hey hey you need to work on the weekend and it's like no i'm not working on the weekend like if you don't work on the weekend you're gonna be fired do you really want to risk your health care over this yeah, and definitely. they they use they leverage that as a threat, which, and which, I'm not trying to get all political here, but like the healthcare system in the United States is quite literally highway robbery, where it's like, hey, you have to pay this money or else you're not going to get the surgery. So it comes yeah. down to your money or your life. Yeah, like um, I, yeah, you, you see that um recent Mr. Beast video where he like cured the blindness of like thousands of people, and I think that was a bit of a commentary on how. You know, um, for people to get the same surgery from the, you know, U.S. healthcare system, it would cost like $1,000 for each of them, you know, but he can go and do it for like $10 a person because that's how much it actually costs to fix, you know, blindness problems co compared to what the, uh, you know, insurance companies and, you know, the exploit, the capitalist exploiters actually charge, you know, in, in the private healthcare system. I'm not. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like, I don't follow Mr. Beast, but I assume you're talking about cataract surgery, which again, yes, does get corrected by lasers, um, which costs you know a few pennies of electricity. But like, you know, you have to have a skilled technician to run that sort of stuff. Um, there's the the problem is though. Like, I mean, this is definitely the problem. This is definitely something that I have experienced traveling internationally. Is like, yes, you can go to other countries, and yes, you can get that healthcare for free, but like. You're always going to have a complaint somewhere because, you know, in the United States, yes, it's a, it, all right. So here, 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 here's the basic, here's the basic business problem you have to run into. Okay, it's a, it's a Venn diagram, okay, of three circles. You can get it done good, fast, or cheap, and you can only pick two. Now, in the United States, it's like yes, you can get good healthcare and you can get it fast, but it ain't going to be cheap. You can go to the UK and you can get healthcare, but it ain't going to be fast because you you could you know have a problem and it's going to take like six months to get seen, and it still ain't going to be cheap because um, the one of the big differences that people like to ignore when they make these arguments is the fact that like your federal income tax in the United States is somewhere in the neighborhood of like fifteen percent. Whereas, like, when you're in Europe, it's closer to, like, 80%. A lot of your money in European countries goes toward tax income. And that is, that can be good when you're talking about the massive wealth inequality where you take, like, 
of a rich person's paycheck and you can distribute that to the poor for these mm -hmm. sort of important social services like you know uh the roads and healthcare and yeah and i don't think the ceos and, need those billion dollar bonuses either yeah. right but, <laughs> but but here's the problem okay they, they, don't, they don't need a second island for each of their children look i i know it's really easy for you to make these jokes okay but unfortunately it doesn't work that way because even though you have an 80 percent tax rate in europe where you have um you know the you know the idea is that you take these people who are making a billion dollars and you take 80 percent of that and you redistribute that to the poor with services like roads education and healthcare it doesn't work that way because like you have this option of saying all right well instead of giving it to uh instead of paying taxes i'm going to donate it to charity which is an option so that way as long as you can take that money and you can donate to a charity you can make a charitable donation then you don't have to pay that into as taxes which is what they do it just so happens that they happen to own the charity that they're donating to so they literally take it out of one pocket and they put okay, it into the yeah. other and that's <laughs> yeah. that's the big problem okay because when you go to these european countries where they have the higher tax rates where it's supposed to work like that where you're supposed to redistribute the high income taxes to the to the people who need it it doesn't work because they have the means of dodging that and so now you have the working class paying eight percent of their taxes and they're they're just struggling for it and this is the same problem in the united states even though there's lower tax rates and the rich get tax breaks you know the idea is that oh if you pay if you make more money you pay more money well this is the same thing where they can donate it and it just goes right back into their own pockets and that's a a huge problem that needs to get corrected but yeah, uh, yeah that, uh, that's, that's like um you know america's going to get anywhere with how it keeps selecting celebrities into office rather than actual scientists or pe people with economic expertise. Here's the, here's the thing. And this is, this is not a uniquely American problem. This is, this is, oh, this yeah, there, is there's a, heaps a, of political corruption in Australia too. Like, um, I don't know right, if you've ever right. heard of friendly Geordies who recently, they, they recently attempted to assassinate. It was like a, um, YouTuber political commentator. Yeah. You probably, so, so, like I said, this is not a uniquely American problem, but the thing with politics is that the people who are smart enough to run the world correctly are yeah, smart enough, are smart enough to not run for political office. Because running for political office is a really not smart thing to do. And that would also probably get corrupted, you know, by the no, system. No, it's... it's 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 not just that, but like if you look at anyone who gets elected into office, um, uh, uh, right off the bat, their life is on display, and no matter what they do, they're going to piss off at least half the people that elected them, because if if what I'm, I'm just saying in the United States, you've got the Democrats and the Republicans. If you have someone who runs as a Democrat, and let's say they get elected, automatically half the country hates you right off the bat, even though they have no idea who you were six months ago. You ran for office, now you're elected, automatically half the country hates you. And that was not a problem you had six months ago. Yeah. And and you can try to do your best and you can maybe make some good changes, but no matter what you do, half the country is just automatically gonna hate you. And that's exactly what the 
the the one percenters want because they want you they want the common people to all be fighting with each other over who's in office and oh this celebrity and oh that politician all, all, all fighting all fighting with each other over you know gayness and trans people or, and or, or, really you know racism and and really none of that has any effect on the rich because they're literally up on mount olympus looking down at the peasants all arguing yeah, over fighting. like this king or that king yeah point, point and stuff now so what's the solution to this because i'm not really i'm not really the sort of person who will just complain about something without offering up a solution because for the french in the uh 1817 and 1800s they had the french revolution where they literally dragged the bourgeoisie out into the streets and cut their heads off. Um, that I, I didn't China I, do something like that recently. That well, the the I don't know. I mean, China has done some crazy shit, so I'm not saying that they're above that sort of thing. But the point is that it yeah, didn't. Then, really then there was change. a big like uprising against landlords in China recently. Uh, but I, I don't know much about. It. I just saw a headline somewhere. So. Yeah, I I really try to avoid watching the news. It really just makes me a happier oh, person. Oh yeah, same same year. Like I I avoid it, but it so often gets shoved in my face anyway. So it's, like I, I said, I, find, I often just read headlines, and I'm like, oh, I don't I find it anymore. <laughs> I find that it's more fruitful to learn history and try to learn from it, which you know, obviously, the current oh, yeah. state of affairs would be very happy to ignore because. Uh, with the French Revolution, they literally took the one percenters, dragged them onto the street, and cut their heads off. And it honestly changed very little because all it did was just move some lines around on a graph about who the one percent were. If you kill all the rich, then if you kill all the one percenters, then suddenly the two percenters become the one percenters. It's it's mm. that's just that's just what happens. Like you just you just move that bar down a little bit. Um, and it's the same thing with like donating to donating to charities and try to raise up the poor you know where it's like hey let's just let's just hand out let's have some soup kitchens and boots yeah. and whatnot and like okay like you might be able to help some things in the local level but that distribution curve is always going to exist where you're going to have the super rich and you're going to have the impoverished and like that stratification is always going to exist and you can you can try to raise the poor up and try to tear the poor uh tear the rich down but it just all it does is it moves the margins a bit um yeah. Well, the problem anyway, now is... um, sorry, I'll just uh, let you give you a few more minutes, but then we should probably go right, back so... to games for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> we really got a really off track here. Yeah. But the, the the bottom the bottom line is that um, in the in the modern world, um, if if you were to if you were to start trying to have a uh, a socialist revolution in a country like the United States now, then the, the rich people would just leave like they would just go to their private islands and to watch the fires from their satellite maybe televisions. that'd be a good thing I... <laughs> yeah no, 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 because here's the thing like when, when when the rich people leave they they take their wealth they take their property and they take their uh, technology and business with them uh, this is what happened with venezuela uh when venezuela collapsed the rich people left and the the company the whole country collapsed on itself and it became awful like i i would just i would just i'm gonna save you a whole bunch of time now i'm gonna tell you just go look at what happened with venezuela and that is what a communist revolution looks like it's mm. it's not pretty well i i, I, I kind of think it depends on how rich the com country is in general like 
like a poor poor countries have tried to do socialism and they failed but that's because they don't have enough wealth to go around to everyone but richer countries like america i think could do it but then again maybe not if you say the rich would just leave no that's i'm listen i i'm not i'm not trying to just say no you're wrong but like that is not a good metric because Venezuela used to be quite wealthy as a country. They were one of the biggest producers of crude oil in the world. And all those oil barons were the ones who were like, hey, we've got these oil rigs, uh, you know, these offshore rigs. We're drilling for oil. We're, we're welling it. We're refining it with these refineries that we have. And when all this stuff started to happen, all these people were like, the majority of the country was like, hey, we're working for these oil companies. And then they start having this revolution, and then all the all the 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 people who are owning the companies were like, all right, well, we're out of here. So all of a sudden, like ninety percent of the country was like out of a job because these all these refiners just like, nope, shut down. Yeah. Even though the even though the country was rich, the people who owned it left, and they took their wealth, they took their technology, and the stuff that, and honestly, the the key components because they're not just going to leave this to the hands of the workers. They just keep on producing oil and have their own economy like they they you know they took the stuff with them so they could not they physically could not do that and they had the means of doing it you know yeah. like the eventually whole idea, like, they're, they're gonna try to escape to space you know that that's what elon and all them are trying to work oh on man <laughs> that's the, if you want to you want if you want to shift gears let me tell you space is not fun like being being in low earth orbit is not fun it is a pain um be, living on the space station is a pain uh for a variety of physical reasons just yeah. because of, there's no gravity yeah, it's probably going to um, eventually be necessary when they destroy the earth and strip it of all its resources no it, <laughs> it's it's just it's just it's not going to come to that uh trying to pie like you, you have to understand like look at look at the way that they colonize the united states and think about that as uh, uh, no, 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 not, not the United States. When they colonize the New World, you have to kind of con compare that to like colonizing Mars, where like hopefully Mars doesn't have a bunch of. <laughs> but barring that, it's essentially the same process where you have to send these rugged individuals who start out with essentially nothing, have to make the most of what they can with what they have when they get there, you know. That's what Mars is going to be. They're going to send a few people to get there and try to set up a colony, send some resources along with them to try to get things established. But man, it is going to be tough as balls because Mars is not a very habitable planet. And it's going to take like, it, it's going to take probably a hundred years to terraform it if they try to do that anyway. It's going to take several thousand years to terraform a planet. Like let me be let me be abundantly clear about that. And in the meantime. Earth is still going to be here. And you know what? Climate change is going to happen. Some places are going to turn to deserts. Some places are going to turn to rainforests. The ice caps are going to melt. The oceans are going to rise. And all that's just going to happen. But, like, it's still going to be the most habitable planet in the solar system. That's, that's, like, Mars is never going to be better than Earth. Like, ever. Until the Earth gets absorbed by the sun in 5 billion years, Mars is not going to be better than Earth. It, that, just the bottom line. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. You know, two thousand years from now, we might have the technology to well, become a type one civilization. That, that might but... be a good um good opportunity to move on to the next topic of uh, RimWorld. Have you been playing that much? I have not. Um, oh, but it looks like something problem. I could totally. Yeah, like it looks like 
a more approachable version of Dwarf Fortress, which is on my wish list. Yeah, that, that's pretty much exactly what it is. Although um, I, I play it with um, like a crap load of mods. Like um, I, I um, got the recent expansion. There's like three expansions now. But I, I actually tried to play it with the newest expansion. And I found it's such a, the base vanilla game, such a huge downgrade from playing the uh, hardcore SK mod mod set that um, I just ended up playing it without the expansion and playing another game with the hardcore SK mods because of, you know, it's kind of that problem where you play a game with like hundreds of mods and then you go back to vanilla and it feels like a really boring game in comparison. So, yeah. Yeah, I I had that experience when um, No Man's Sky first came out. I don't want to say when it first came out. I didn't play it when it first came out, but when its first uh, major uh, DLC came out with the uh, base building aspects. Um, wow, I used to know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the ratings were so in the toilet that it was on a deep sale at the time. And I said, all right, well, for five bucks, who can go wrong, right? So I played it, and I... I messed around with some of I, I I did some modding of my own to try to make it more playable because I said like okay what is the heart of this game like that's what I was trying to get at and it's like okay so there's some survival aspects so let's say I spend all this time I didn't have time to do all this grinding but let's say we have all this time to do this grinding I get all these materials together to make these ship parts um, so I I just I hacked the materials in and I said okay I got the ship together cool now what. Uh, now I'm traveling, and it's like, oh, hey, there's this whole thing with the um, with the, the black holes there, the the, the uh, dark matter yeah. places. I gosh, it forever. It looks like it, but... a really deep game, but I I've only gotten about like five hours deep into it, and then I've like played something else. But it, it looks like now, it'd be a very interesting game to get deep into. It just yeah, take a bit of uh, dedication to get there. Yeah, so a lot of it. It just it feels like that the the materials collection aspect is a lot of game padding, which it is. And so I said, all right, well, let me eliminate that. And then I was trying to pursue the story with essentially infinite resources and infinite money because you know there's cheater? a lot of stuff you have to buy when you go to like <laughs> what I said cheater. Just... Yeah, no, because because like I I tried playing it as it was presented to me. And I said. And I recognized immediately, like, like, oh, I got to find all this iron ore to try to craft these things. And as soon as you step out of your ship, it doesn't matter what planet you're on, there's no safe planet. As soon as you step out of your ship, you immediately start dying. Like, hmm. you have something, whether it's, either, whether it's heat or cold or radiation or toxicity or something that starts depleting the amount of time you can be on your planet before you have to go back to your ship, which limits your radius of how far you can explore. And I'm like, well... I'm really tired of this game fucking telling me where I can't go. So, you know, these <laughs> these were aspects. Of, so I changed it. So I said, like, all right, if I could make this game better, what would I do? Well, I would eliminate that. So I did. And so, like, all right, now, oh, and I'm earning money to buy these things. So how do I do that? Oh, I got to sell this crap. All right, well, I'm not spending 300 hours taking pictures of animals to try to earn 10 credits a piece to get however much money I need for this upgrade. So let's assume I've done all that, you know. And my conclusion from doing all that... Once I, you know, had, had, because I, I knew what the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay was with in terms of like collecting iron and digging and and finding these things to make these upgrades for these parts for these ships to make to be able to go to a different planet to be able to go to a different star system to go to the center of the galaxy and whatnot was that 
like 99% of it was just grinding resources. And the last 1% of it, I actually really enjoyed. Where once I eliminated all that, where I could just be like, all right, I've got fuel, I've got the parts, I can just go from place to place and just explore. Yeah. Um, the part that I really liked about it was like discovering new alien words and learning these languages. And like, there's this whole hidden game to it that gets buried under all this grind where you could, if, if they just eliminated the need for resources and money and whatnot, and you're literally just in a ship hopping from planet to planet, going to these monoliths, you become like this archaeologist trying to find like the Rosetta Stone for these alien languages because you run into these other races where you don't understand their words, but every once in a while a word will perp, a pop out because you've discovered that word was, so you have to kind of intuit mm-hmm. what they're saying and then and communicate back. And it becomes this really great language sub-game that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I've never seen any other game do that before or since. Okay. And unfortunately, it's buried in this, you know, uh, really padded, you know, a mile wide, an inch deep yeah. game of... And presumably, I guess it sometimes depends on like what you're looking for. Like sometimes you just want to play a game, and you know, you just you just want to be interacting, and other times you want to have a you know like story like experience. Yeah, and like for for like uh, you know uh, resource you know mining and uh, so you know that sort of survival style game like Minecraft did that way back in the early two thousands and. Everything I've seen since then has been some recoloring of that basic, like, collecting resources to, you know, craft this, to craft that. Yeah. You know, in these these sort of, like, tech trees. If you put enough mods on Minecraft, you can make it even bigger than No Man's Sky. (laughs) Yeah. Which I've done a few times. Well, yeah, in in terms of just, like, the sheer amount of, like, square square area that you can traverse... If you add up all the plants in No Man's Sky versus... And also progression the... systems. Like, uh, I've I put, like, enough mods on Minecraft before that it, it takes, like, 500 hours just to reach the diamond diamond armor tier, and then there's, like, still, you know, 50 tiers of armor after that. Yeah. See, like, now that I don't need. See? <laughs> yeah. I, or, or there's this one I, time I, when I... I um, like, I had mods on Civilization Four that extended the game and increased the um, the tech tree to the point that it would like take 10 constant days just to reach the industrial age. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> it really depends if you want to add that much uh, padding to your game, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, look, at there, there are some people who are living at home who are unemployed in their parents' basement. Like and I, they I, I used all... to be for, <laughs> for the most part. And they have all the time in the world for that sort of stuff but yeah I, I miss those times well you know there, there's a there's a price to pay for everything because like you know when you're, when you're living in somebody else's house and you're living under their rules then you know it's you're 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 trading uh comfort and convenience for freedom you know and so to be free obviously that comes at a cost too because you have to pay for where you're living and all the things that you want to do you have to pay for somehow you know, like money yeah, getting to be is, naked is, in your own home too. <laughs> well, know, I mean you could be naked to you can be naked home. in your mom's home too, but it's gonna to lead to an awkward conversation. Yeah. 
but the point is, like, you, you pay for it one way or another. Either you have to live under somebody else's rules and do chores, or you're paying for it yourself, in which case you have to spend, you know, all this time every day, you know, at a job doing work. And they're paying, they're compensating you for your time because it's obviously not something that you would choose to do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be work. It would be a hobby. Um, that's just, that's just, that's just the economy of time. And I think that the movie in time with, uh, Justin Timberlake and, uh, Olivia Wilde there, uh, really, it's like a romance movie, isn't it? No, it's, well, I mean, sort of like the romance is definitely a B story to it. It's, it's really a fantastic take on the the reality of being a one percenter or not being a one percenter, but like the reality of the one percenters, it's not about having money. It's about what you can buy with money because like, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take this back to a political place. I'm just saying that in time was a great movie and I recommend it. I, I, I remember, um, uh, Notch used to complain a lot about how, like, even though he's like rich and everything, he can't even know if, if someone that he meets actually likes him. It can be sort of a problem with, you know, being one of the 1%. You know, you, you got all well, the money in the world, but you're lonely. All right. So this is that that's two things. So if you're if you're rich and or famous, then yes, you can never really know if someone likes you because of you or because of you being rich or famous, which is a big problem with being rich or famous. Yeah. Um, the other the other aspect of that is the uh, a more biological component, which is the hedonic treadmill, where no matter what, no matter how good or bad your life is, your brain will chemically find a a median place in it, where like even though even though you had like the 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 Jews who were in concentration camps at some point they were able to be like, well, it can't get any worse. And they just kind of enjoyed the day to day, whatever they could, whether it was a bowl of soup or like a, a pair of shoes from someone else who died and that just happens to fit them. And that was the highlight of their whole entire month because, Hey, look, I've got shoes that don't have holes in them. And they were able to find some slice of joy in that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I think about quite a lot is how like, we we in this modern age are used to all these luxuries of like internet and being able to constantly have entertainment on in the background when we're doing whatever um compared compared to like you know back in the stone age when people would have to tell each other stories to entertain themselves or you know play little games well, with sticks yeah well that's <laughs> that that's the other thing too like if you look at the other if you look at the other end but like, but now like I if think... i were to lose all that if i were to lose internet I, i'd probably be so like i can't imagine how bored i'd be well you see that's the thing you can't imagine it but i can because i know what life without the internet was like and you i can i can tell you right now confidently that unless you've got some other really serious underlying conditions you would be fine you would eventually be well, fine. I, I, did, I did have a similar experience. I was actually homeless in the uh, Australian outback for five months. Um, although my mum did take my little uh, notebook to her work and I was able to get like three or four hours of computer time a day. But, you know, other than that, pretty much the only thing I was doing was reading novels. But, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of my little bit of experience with... Uh, 
not having as much technology. So the show, um, Futurama, does a really good job of oh, talking about this. Show. It's it's actually an anti-humanism show because it takes place in the year 3000 as, as far as like the people who were animating it in the 90s could imagine what the year 3000 was, which included box TVs still because <laughs> the flat screen TV was just such a full, alien concept. They couldn't even fathom it. Um, I think that's I think that's hilarious. That's a that's a Flintstoning effect, by the way, which yeah, is another thing. Simpsons does that a lot as well. Like Simpsons yeah. even um predicted Trump becoming president. I don't mean that. I mean like how if you watch the Simpsons uh, not the Simpsons, the Flintstones, you have um you have Wilma Flintstone vacuuming her rug with an elephant. And it's like <laughs> Yeah. The the Flint the, the Stone Age people would have no concept of how a vacuum cleaner would work, but they make this Stone Age version of a modern device. And the same thing works in the other direction, where you have the year 3000 with Futurama, and they still have box TVs from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, because the, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product of when it was made. And I think uh, in, Star is... Trek, in Star Trek, they have, like, they have video calls before video calls were even possible. Right, but that's, that's, that's not... The same concept I'm, I'm talking about how like when you have the actual future like now where we've got flat screen tvs you know if you look at a show like futurama they should have flat screen tvs or something even more futuristic but they still had box tvs because that's what the tvs looked like in the 90s when the show was made yeah um as a, so uh I, I, I got distracted here uh oh but the point is the point of futurama uh, is that it demonstrates how even in the year 3000, even though when Fry first gets to the year 3000, his mind is blown. Everything is just amazing. Everything's incredible. And well, well, one everybody... thing to say is we're not going to evolve very much biologically in a thousand years. We're still going to be very much the same and have the same, pretty much the same brain as we do now. More or less. Yeah. But the point is, in, in the year 3000, Fry gets there, everything is amazing, and nobody is happy. Because it's all the same basic human, and, and I realize it's robots and mutants and aliens and all that stuff, but it's all the same basic uh, the human the experience designs. problems. Yeah. yeah, because you, and, and, that's, and that's, why, that's why you have so many people who are disgustingly rich and yet they're miserable because well, they claim the to problem, be miserable <laughs> the pro look at it, it's it's a i'm sure they really are and like we can't have a we if we're not rich we well, can't have a sympathy for them well, because well, like one, oh one well, thing I, I was rich one thing i do think is i think that elon musk is extremely unhappy and very um uh what's the word um insecure about himself and how he's perceived even though he's like the richest man in the world, a lot of people dislike him. And I think he's, you know, a bit embarrassed about that, like in his personal feelings about himself. That's probably true. I don't really follow him, but like, that's probably true. But here's, here's the thing. I, like, I could say to you, like, okay, um, you know, are, do you think your life is perfectly happy right now? And you could, you could easily say no. And I could say why? Well, for this, that, and the other reason. And I, well, What's the solution to that? 
And the, fu the, the funny expression is like, I've got 99 problems and money could solve all of them. And for people like you and I, that's true. Like I've got bills I got to pay. I've got dream, I got places I want to visit and I've got things I want to own. And if you had a billion dollars, the things that you and I could imagine, we could solve all those things. Like I could have my dream house. I, I could visit every place I've ever wanted to go to. I could own everything I've ever wanted to own, aside from like maybe owning a small country. And I could do all the experiences that everyone do. Now you do all that, you do all that in a year. It's the highlight of your entire life, of anyone's life, right? You you've lived like a king, you you you've won the lottery, you've you've done everything, and then all that's over, and then you've still got the rest of your life to live. And it's like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh well, one thing I think would probably happen if I ever, you know, became rich is I might start, you know, overindulging on alcohol and other drugs because, you know, like once I've enjoyed the money for a bit i worried i would you know succumb to my addictions and stuff and that's that's what it that's what it comes down to like that's if not i had unlimited you. money often the only thing that stops me you know from you know binging on stuff that's unhealthy for me is the fact that i run out of money and i have to i'm forced to cold turkey and that that is the same for anybody and i'm not just saying like not not just you because you have an addictive personality or anything like that but it comes down to a chemical it's a chemical warfare in your brain you know you do these things that make you happy to make the happy dopamine in your brain and the threshold for that gets higher and higher and higher as you have more money so now it's like Hey, in order for me to be happy, I need to go to, for a trip to Paris. In order well, for me I, to be I need happy to go Paris, for a trip to the moon. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, like, that's like, the um, thing. Uh, what's his name? But, but, uh, Jeff Bezos. Listen, the, but the point is, the point is, is there's no upper limit to that threshold. Hmm. Okay, and you're always going to end up, I averaging out somewhere in the middle where you don't feel euphoric all the time but you're not miserable all the time either you're just kind of awake you know and the problem that people expect is that when they become rich or famous and they have all this fame is that i will be happy all the time and that's just not something that the human brain is designed to do and so what happens is you become a billionaire or no like let, let's say you become like if you're some sort of person who's Spend most of your life being poor, you think like, oh, if I just had some money, then I'd be happy. Oh, if I just had a better house, I'd be happy. If I had a better car, I'd be happy. If I had a better whatever, I'd be happy. And you get so ingrained in equating your happiness with wealth that these people who like win the lottery, for example, or some some other way have some windfall where they become rich, um, they they think they, they do they become happy for a little while. But then what ends up happening is all those old problems come back well not necessarily that those old problems come back but the things that made them happy don't last forever and now they're like okay i'm miserable again but i'm now i'm also rich now what do i do because i don't know how to fix this and so it's very very possible to be a billionaire and be miserable and there's no way that poor people can relate to that yeah and um it's, that rich people can even have more money to spend on you know psychiatrists and stuff but you know, and, and so fortunately, one of the things that you can do is that you can help people who are less fortunate than you, and that does make you feel good. That is a human thing where you can you see a homeless person, you give them a dollar, or you you give them a hamburger or whatever, and you see how happy that makes them, and that makes you happy. And there is 
also no limit to that either. And so you have you will have some people, some rich people who are doing genuine good. Like you have. Um, um, do, do you ever I'm, think I'm, that I'm, there's like rich people that are genuine psychopaths that like can't have empathy for other people? Oh, I'm I'm sure there's there's yeah. psychopaths at every, I, every I level. I think a lot society. of those people, you know, usually tend up end up being the CEOs and stuff because they have to be able to know that they are screwing like you know thousand hundreds of thousands of people to lives of poverty while they're you know they're complaining like, about you know their first world problems. I, I get that you're not wealthy, but are you aware of your own biases? Uh, probably like I, I do have have quite a big hatred for the rich, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you're not, you're not subtle about that. And like, yes, obviously probably I, have, because I, I have, you know, been spent most of my life in close to poverty, but like Australian poverty, which is like higher than American poverty, I guess. So it's been kind of a in between. Yeah. I'm not sure how to describe it. But anyway. All right. All right. I, I, I think there's a pretty standard distribution curve at all levels in terms of personalities. I mean, obviously, you're going to have more type A personalities be the people who are succeeding more in the top there. But like in terms of like, like psychopathy or sociopathy, um, I think there's a pretty standard distribution curve where you're going to have those ones who are going to succeed versus the ones who are going to stay poor and just be living in a trailer park and, you know, killing drifters and whatnot versus the ones who can put those impulses aside and apply that to being a savvy business person and or a heartless lawyer or whatever. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, anthropological uh, basis for the necessity of sociopaths as an evolutionary usefulness. Um, like we're talking like 20,000 years ago in the tribal sense, where if you had to go to war with a neighboring tribe, you would want to have 1% of your population be a sociopath because you want to send them out there to kill other tribes people and not come back all messed up because you need them to be a functioning warrior. So you, you need that percentage of population to, to exist. And that's like, that's, that's one of the genealogical anthropological, uh, basis for why psychopathy exists. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes them, if it also makes them a really good defense lawyer, then whatever, they found a niche in a modern society where, you know, you know, nature could not have foreseen the need for a defense lawyer back when we were hunters and gatherers. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really easy to point your fingers and, and, and say like, oh, well, the rich must all either be evil or crazy or whatever. But like, there's, there are good and bad people at all levels of society. I have met some super rich people who are also really genuinely super good and they demonstrate that. You know, like it's it's not just a, like a like at a particular charity event where they have to put on a good face. It's like no, like they go their whole lives being good, and you can have plenty of poor people who are. Yeah, I, I probably need evil. to see more it's... news about those people because I, I tend to only hear about the uh, rich people that are doing evil stuff. I guess. 
I, I think that comes down to like uh, the effect of the global internet and the effect of the echo chamber, because the thing with your um, curtailed um, newsfeed is that like, if you see a particular story and you like it, the algorithm will feed you more of those stories. So if you want to see more stories about rich people, being, if you like a story about rich people being evil, you're going to get more stories about rich people being evil. And unfortunately, this has a lot of political implications too, because you know the reason why there's so much uh, division in politics, at least in the United States, um, is because you have all you know you got the right and the left all keeping to themselves, all chanting like, "Hey, look how right we yeah. look, how correct yeah. we Living are, and how bad the other side is." Living in their yeah, echo but, chamber and YouTube algorithm, that's tailored uh, that's, to them. But that is, but that's unfortunately that's everywhere. That's a global phenomenon, and that's that's with political parties in any country where our party is the best, and anyone else who disagrees with us has to be wrong or evil or whatever. And it just it just leads to this division because unfortunately, with 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 network television, you know, it used to be the case that everyone was seeing the same show. Yeah. Well, well, one, sorry, to... just quickly. One thing I did find interesting is that I um, spent some time on YouTube with the algorithm off, like like logged out of YouTube, and it showed me a bunch of Mr. Beast and Family Guy episodes. <laughs> it's what it yeah it was what seems to be the blank slate for for people to watch when they have no algorithm. Well, it just it shows you what's most popular. So even then, it's it's a it's a skewed result you know you're not just getting literally the most random stuff it's like hey a lot of people watch youtube and mr beast videos like enough people where if you're a new person like hey here's what most people like so keep on can keep on being part of the majority you know and it becomes this it becomes a, the the case of the emperor has no clothes you know mm, what 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 other sort of tv shows have you watched recommend like recently i've been watching the great it's a sort of comedy slash kind of historically accurate account of catherine the great uh, okay of russia uh i think it's set in the 18 or 1700s and um oh it's a really good show like just great acting all that sort of stuff and yeah go, it goes into a lot of yeah political stuff about um, Catherine the Great being this person that believes in science and progressivism and stuff, and she she basically overtakes um, the the current leader of Russia, who's like all about war and just partying and not giving a crap about you know, and, and sort of like it's a society where there's you know serfs and nobles and that sort of stuff, and Catherine the Great comes in and wants to change all that and make it so that you know like get rid of cert like put put everyone on an equal level as the nobles um but yeah she ends up finding that very hard like this second season is about how hard she's finding her actual ideals are to implement um in reality when she actually has power and control she's she's realizing that a lot of the time the people are very resistant especially the uh the higher class nobles who have had, you know, these serfs do things for them, um, you know, suddenly shocked and, you know, against her leadership. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's very hard to get people who have power to give up power. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, imagine, 
I'm not, it, 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 like the one of the one of the funny things about um, I, I really hate to take this back to a political place, but like you know the uh, I should the probably States, call this the political podcast. I mean, I probably could <laughs> if that's well, I mean, what like, you like it, talking about. But yeah, it's well, it's it's what you like talking about, and I do have commentation on it. But yeah, like uh, it's so what I like, like to talk about. Would... But as you know, like I'm not allowed to talk about it <laughs> on the Discord that we both frequent. So. I, yeah. I do take so, it other places sometimes. It's look at if this if this is what you want your podcast to be. Like so, like if you have a, a government that it's determines not its own what pay, I want my YouTube channel to be. That's that's the problem. That's fine. We're, we're working out the growing pains. But like if you have, if you have a, a a government that determines its own paycheck, then it's going to give it. It's going to keep on giving itself raises, which is what happens. And if you have. Um, the, if you have the, the people who have money lobbying to tell you like, hey, push this policy or don't push that policy, uh, then that's what's going to happen. And it's it, all these policies that end up, you know, uh, benefiting the rich who have the means to push them, to, to lobby for them. That's what's going to happen. And that's not a uniquely American uh, oh yeah, issue um, that, that happens that happens anywhere because I, I think just it, about every first world country is like a corporate is run by the corporations. It's you know the corporations that control the government by like bribing the officials, and um, it's not really technically a democracy where the the normal people actually get to dictate what goes on. Yeah, and. With with any form of government, there's always any government that's any any system. I'm not even gonna say government, but any system, any any company, any organization, any government, whatever. As long as it's run by humans, it has the capacity to be corrupted, and that's unfortunately that's just the reality of being a a, a human with free will. Is that all we can try? To, all we can do? All we can hope for is just the best we can with what we have. And honestly, like I, I can, I can complain all day about all these individual problems. I don't like about the modern world, about how everyone's all staring at their phones or, you know, sitting at home playing video games instead of like being out in the streets and riding bikes and, you know, playing tag or, or, or capture the flag or whatever, you know, playing with friends, you know, outside. It's honestly, if this wasn't, I, the I best think the problem situation. is more that people are too productive and need to spend more time sitting and playing video games because uh, well, I, I think, think society is in the in this uh, in, in this sort of delusion where it has to be productive no matter what and it always has to be more productive and we need to consume more resources and we need to make more things, you know, rather than actually just you know chilling a bit and living life. Right. Well. Where we're the current world is sitting in a lap of convenience and luxury that's built on the backs of a lot of people who do not have it, and and I don't want you to count yourself among the people who are whose backs upon us is which because you are literally on the internet right now talking to somebody a world away on a computer that you did not build that like was built in another country in a sweatshop by some people who are yeah. going to go home to live in a fucking dumpster. Yeah, it's you know, pretty like... much impossible to consume ethically, like, and, you know, unless you're completely off the grid. Yeah. And that's, and that's just it. Like, 
at a, at a certain point you have to if you're gonna if you're gonna go on Twitter and complain about environmentalism, like you need to recognize that you are doing that from a phone that was built in a factory that uses dirty fuel to power it in China. Like I, I'm sure people are aware of that. I, I don't think it's necessarily productive to say, oh well, if you're using those things to try to make a point, then you shouldn't be making the point at all. You know, I think that just ends up silencing. Oh people. yeah, no, that, I, I get that. that. That I understand what you mean. That's a pedantic argument. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, um, like we, things are things are better now than they have ever been. Like all these problems now about like wealth disparity. It's like yes, we're more aware of them because this is the information age, and we know about it. You know, in the same way that we know that lightning is a result of like distant, dist, uh, but, but but hasn't there been similar... like a massive increase in, um, like there's been a, a disappearance of the middle class just since the nineties and eighties. Like, isn't that a really right. noticeable change just in the last, you know, two decades when, when you know? Yes, there there is. I. And but yeah, you know, like we're, we're not talk, but like here's the thing: like there also was not a middle class in Egypt because you had the pharaohs and then you had the commoners, and like that was a a zero to one hundred percent difference of distribution of wealth, where one person literally owned everything, and nobody else owned anything. And that's a that's a very extreme example to pull from. But like even even the lower class in the United States, like. If you have a job, you have healthcare. Like, if you get a splinter, you're not going to die from a bacterial infection. You know, like, like even even though you have this incredible wealth disparity and you have this incredible poor, you know, like where there's no where there's no quote unquote middle class and and you have all these people who, you know, are working these dead end jobs or have all this student debt from going to university. Oh, like, student debt you don't is have bloody horrible. Yeah. Like you're not you're not gonna die from cholera because you drank from the wrong well, you know. Like there's a lot to appreciate about the modern world, even though like we have our modern problems. Like people are just you don't have to worry about dying in childbirth. You don't have to worry about dying yeah. as a as, as a baby. You're not gonna I, get I eaten think by one a dingo. thing that I've noticed is that people seem to be, you know, complaining about more pointless pedantic things like trans people, um, because we're like so well off in general. You know, people need an enemy when things are relatively that's a, that's a, kind, kind of a kind of a hot button uh example, but yeah. People are always gonna need to find something to complain about. And like 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 you know, back in like you know, back during the civil rights movement, you know, there was this whole there was this whole disparity between you know people of different races, and then it became a uh, disparity against people about different uh, sexual orientations, and then it became about identity because people just want to people just want to make fun of people who are different than them. Like I grew up in the suburbs, I went to a high school. Oh yeah, uh, I, I was picked on a lot at school for being autistic. Well, like. Okay, so like autism was really not even a thing when I went to high school. Like, the, like you were just kind of like slow. You were in the you were in the Todd squad, you know. But like, we didn't even really have that either. Like, that was all in a special classroom that was kind of like it was kind of invisible. But the point I was going to say was that 
like I was in a high school of 600 students and I think there was maybe three black students because we were in, like I said, we were in the suburbs. So it was a very, it was a very white community. There was very few minorities, but there was still plenty of things that people would find to make fun of each other about. Okay. And I'm not even, I'm not talking about like autistic stuff. I'm talking about like, if you had the wrong kind of jeans or the wrong brand of jacket. Or if you, or, held, if you held your glass the wrong way, you were gay. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know. At my school, that happened a lot. Like if you had your pinky off the glass or, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. Like being called gay was okay. a very common insult, um, you know, just a general insult. See, the funny <laughs> thing is, like, I mean, you and I are aware of this stuff now, but like when I was in like in middle school and we would throw that word around, like we had no idea at least I didn't, I had no idea that two gentlemen could do that sort of thing together. Like, I didn't know what being a homosexual actually was, you know, like, I just knew that gay was a derogatory term in a very general sense, like, like, oh, man, we got homework on Friday, that's gay, like, mm. had no concept of homosexuality at all. It was just a bad thing. And so like, but, now, but it actually came from a good thing. Gay used to mean happy. So, yeah, and also back in the '60s, you could say something that was cool was sad, or sick. Yeah, you know, like that—that's the thing. Like the, the the fluid nature of language is a whole other discussion. But you know, you know, when when I remember one time I was asking for a defibrillator, and I was like, "That's a made-up word," and it's like, "No, they're all made up," and that's true. All words are made up. Language is fluid; it changes all the time. You know, like. It's so funny, like when I when I hear people say, like, hey, you know, if you if you come to America, speak English. It's like, okay, well, you've got plenty of people in the United States who speak speak English, and I can't understand understand exactly what the fuck I'm saying because of accents yeah. or slang. You know? You could have everyone in the world right now all speaking the exact same language, same slang, same accent, whatever, and that'll last for like, I don't know, a year. Yeah, well, one thing I often like to uh, mention to people is that if I were to take an Australian citizenship test, I'd probably fail because I don't use a lot of the mannerisms and slang that, you know, f my fellow Australians use because I guess probably because I've been exposed to so much American media and spoken to American people a lot more than I've spoken to, you know, to, to people in my own community. So, yeah, I don't have a lot and of the uh, the Australian slang that you know that i've noticed that um i've heard a lot of people say is very difficult for them to understand and i don't even know most of them like you know people can bring up like a australian slang term and i'm like huh i'm not even sure if i know what that means myself <laughs> anyways hey listen uh going forward i know this is kind of in the morning for you but would it be easier for you to do it in the arvo uh possibly it depends on when cash can come on i'm hoping you know to get both of you on and ma maybe with cash on it'll be a bit more about video games um, did you just like not notice how i said arvo yeah uh, oh yeah well okay yeah that that's a good point because um i did know what you meant by arvo uh yeah it, yeah. it, it no, did I sound had, normal had, to me but but americans i had say to force arvo. that <laughs> Yeah. No, no, that's that's not a word. That's not a word to us. We we say afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I uh, didn't notice it. I, I am Australian enough that Arvo just sounded like a normal word to me. 
Oh, anyways, um, I can't stand too much longer. I gotta take my car down to the servo. Yep. Um, okay. If you, uh, do you want to like uh, promote any socials or anything? Again, I just slid in servo there and you knew I met. Sorry? Servo. So, like, yeah, you're going to like, a servo, the uh, gas station? Gas station, yeah. yeah we yeah. don't say servo. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, so, so you, yeah, you are, that, that kind of proves my point that, yeah. Well, maybe it doesn't prove my point that, like, <laughs> maybe I saying, would pass you, a, yeah, citizenship. I'm, I'm just saying, yes, you, you would pass. And if you said either of those things to somebody else, you'd have to explain what the fuck's an Arvo. You know, you'd have to explain. I, I don't that. use oh, those this? words much myself, though, unless I oh, am. Yeah, because, and... again, because it's because it's slang. And yeah. um, I learned a whole bunch of it for when I went to visit Australia. So that way I didn't sound like a complete tourist. <laughs> or at least so I could understand what people were saying. So I didn't have to ask stupid questions like, what's a servo? Because to me, a servo is an electrical component in a robot. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Anyways, it was just about midnight here. Okay. Yeah. Th thanks for um, talking to me. Um, I'm probably, yeah, probably going to edit some parts of this before I put it up and. Yeah. Like cut out like 90% of it because of all the political stuff. Uh, I, I guess I'll see how the political stuff goes. It's just that um, my, my YouTube channel isn't political. So I feel like it would be a bit jarring for listeners to you know yeah. suddenly have yeah political stuff up although i did so, um, sorry just one more thing i i did have yep. an idea to get a lot of my you know political opinions out in the open in a in a by using the excuse of doing a let's play of democracy 3 while i rant about socialism <laughs> like that that's a game okay. that I bought recently all right i, I that, that that's something I was planning on maybe doing. To yeah, yeah sort no, of I, I, I guess you, I guess you could do that in that context. Um, listen, it's it's your it's your uh, it's your podcast. You know, like if if you, I'm just following wherever you lead me. You know, and if you yeah. if you lead me into political stuff, I, I'm gonna have a political opinion because everybody does. Yeah. Um, if if you want if you want to talk about uh, economic. Opinion stuff. I've got an opinion about that too. Just yeah, I I, I would. I, I would, think I have. I would just like, suggest. Sorry, I, I would I, suggest that if you want to be a, a gaming uh, podcast, that we gotta have a better focus on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one thing though is that I think I could explain my point, my opinion better about politics, but I don't know if I'm as confident at being as eloquent on the spot. You know, like I have things that I believe, but. You know, I feel like I'd kind of have to write them out and read them. Uh, but you're you're a lot more eloquent at getting your point out immediately. Well, yeah, I mean, you could write it all out, but I think most people would call that a manifesto at that point. Hmm. But yeah, uh, well, th just... thanks for joining me. Um, all right, so for the sake of the podcast, let's do a nice clean outro, okay? So we, we just got done talking about video game stuff. So, all right, thank you for talking to me about all that cool video game stuff. Let's do the outro now. All right, uh, thank you for joining me, Shakes. Uh, you want to give anyone your socials or stuff? 
Uh, well, I'm on Discord, so you can find me at uh, Shakespeareicles on Discord. Uh, I think they got rid of the uh, numbers now, didn't they? But um, otherwise, I'm on filmfiction.net. Uh, um, that's that's where you'll be. That's where it'll be easiest to find me. Yep. Otherwise, I'll probably be back here if you'll have me back on. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, hopefully, we can have cash next time, and maybe it'll be more about video games then. So, All right. Looking forward to it. All right. Catch you later, dude.